Welcome to the evening episode of Honey in the Rock. We hope you've had a great day and we've got a great show ahead for you. Stick with us. This evening's episode is titled, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It shall be focused on the study of Luke chapter 13. Before we go any further, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word and we thank thee, Lord, for you coming in the name of the Lord and how at the name of the Lord every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess how it's brought salvation, it's brought healing, it's brought all kinds of things that we might have need of in this journey. For you told us that, Lord, every priest that would come into the priesthood would have a taste of the original manna. We thank thee that you've given us. We said, for this promise shall be unto you, unto your children, and to many that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So we thank thee, Father, to know that you've made us kings and priests unto thee, and you've given us to taste of that original manna. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Luke chapter 13. Chapter 13. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden. 
and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee! How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not! Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, Ye shall not see me until the time come, when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Branham titled, What is the Attraction on the Mountain? This was preached in 1965 on July the 25th in the evening. We'll begin at paragraph 28 up to paragraph 115. I trust you find it to be a blessing. I was reading the other day in, in Life magazine where they had I believe uh, many of you read the article where they've done everything now towards putting different elements together or accumulations until they can almost make life. And they said they would make it. They can't do that. Life is creation. So only one is a creator, and that is God. See, they'll never be able to make life, but he's trying to do that. wonder what kind of a species it would be if he could make it. If it be uh, after the intelligence of a man. So you see, he, he can't do that. It's just not for him to do it. He's failed with education. He's failed with science. He knows that he come from somewhere, but he wants to find his way back. Adam really expressed that, the first man on earth, after finding that he had fallen from grace he tried to take his own intelligence and make a way back to God without an atonement. 
He tried to go back to God without making an atonement, something to pay for his sins after the penalty of God was death. He tried to go back without a death atonement. And men are still trying to do that, trying to make a religion without an atonement in it. Adam made himself a covering out of fig leaves with no blood shed for this covering. And God refused it. And he has refused it then, and he always will refuse it. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He just can't get back. Because the penalty is death, and something has to die to pay that penalty. So it can only be substitutionary, or we are all in death, if there wasn't a substitute for us to hold on to. And man, in doing this, realized that, that he needs something to hold on to, something that he can put his hands on, something he can say, this is it. I've got it. I know it's it. So Adam, to hold on to something, made a fig leaf to cover his and his wife's uh, nakedness. But he found out that, that what he had in his hand did not work. On down through the ages, we could count man if we only had time. Let's take two or three of them anyhow. Let's take Nimrod. Nimrod thought the same thing. After the flood, he was conscious that there was a God who would judge the wicked. For they had just come out of that flood. And he knew that it was sin that caused God to destroy the world. Therefore, knowing that sin again would make God do the same thing, he tried to achieve something to make a tower that man could run up in heaven. If it got bad here on earth and live in heaven and then come back down on earth and sin and go back up into heaven again. Now, that's been the idea of man all along the road. Trying to sin and live in earth and be in heaven at the same time, you cannot do it. You can't do it. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. That's the reason we believe tonight in a total abstaining from sin. Getting away from it. It's poison. Do not fool around it. Don't tolerate in it at all. Have nothing at all to do with it. Don't see how close you can come to it without sinning. See how far you can stay away from it. Anything that looks sinful, stay away from it. Don't have anything to do with it at all. So Nimrod, with his great mastermind, he tried to achieve this. And if you'll notice, it's always been, since man was created, that the, if you run the genealogy of Cain's children, they all become scientists, mighty man. Workers in the earth with metal and wood and so forth. They were the smart, intellectual side. But Seth's children were peasants, sheep herders, humble. Now that's the same way it is today. Those who are depending upon some man-made mechanical something that they can put their hands on and say, this is it, this is it something that man has achieved himself, then you find out mostly that's those kind who are trying to escape 
the blood atonement back to the right way. Now, but Nimrod, after a while in the building of his tower, God sat in the heavens and laughed at him. And he come almost completing. I want you to notice that he almost achieved what he started to do. But then all of a sudden, God just turned the thing the other way and the thing went to pieces. It went into the dust. Just like Adam's fig leaf apron went to dust, so did Nimrod's tower go to dust. Then there come another, which was King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was going to build a city. And if you'll notice, sometimes those spirits that get on to man. And it's a day coming and is at hand now where the Christian church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, ought to be so spiritual. Because that Jesus said that the two spirits would be so close till it would deceive the very elected if it was possible. The enemy is so cunning. Now watch him with Nebuchadnezzar. He built a city just exactly a pattern of heaven. As the river Euphrates flowed by the throne, like in heaven the river of water of life goes by the throne, swinging gardens and everything just exactly like it was. For before, when Abraham was journeying looking for such a city, and if you're not spiritual-minded, Satan will blind you on these things. Amen. See? Something that looks almost like it, but it isn't it. If it's man-made, it's no good. If it's blood-bought by God, it's the truth. That's, see, it's true. But if it's man-made. Now, he made this great city. And then we find out that also he made uh, an image for people to worship. And brought an image worship amongst the people. But in the midst of all of it, there come a supernatural handwriting on the wall, an unknown tongue that no one could interpret but a spirit-filled prophet that was among them. And that kingdom went to the dust just exactly like Nimrod's tower and Adam's fig apron. Just the same, because it's something that man achieved himself. It's something that he wanted to do to show that he could save himself. You cannot save yourself. There's not a thing you can do about it. The way's already made for you. You cannot save yourself. We could call many other great things that have taken place. Just recently, uh, France. After the First World War, they wanted to build a Siegfried line up there. And they turned all their guns towards Germany and said, Now, if the Germans ever would try to come this way again, well, we'll be able to hold them off because we got a, a line here that we can hold them off with it. Just to show that man-made schemes cannot stand, the Germans outsmarted them. They got behind this Siegfried line and said, We can eat, drink, live in adultery, dance, live in sin, do anything we want to. 
because we are protected. We have done something that will protect us. The Germans marched right around behind it and took them. See? Went right around behind them because they forgot to make their guns toured. Could turn anyway. So the Germans just got out of the reach of their guns and went right around in behind. And the Siegfried line fell. The Germans come around and made the Maginot line. And they thought, if the Yankees ever come over here, well, we'll just get down in this fortified concrete and we'll be all right. What happened? The Yankees come over blockbusters and busted them to pieces. She fell anyhow. The United States here not long ago thought they could build a ship that no other shipbuilders could build. It was called the Titanic. One night when she was steaming across the ocean with all of her engines running and the bands was playing jazz music, hooping it up, all of a sudden it turned to near my God to thee. Wow! She struck an ice gorge out there and knocked a hole in her and busted up the engines and she went to the bottom of the sea. One. God with his mighty hand shows this world it cannot stand. Man cannot achieve nothing by himself. Now today, the great fuss is on about the nuclear weapons. And we're spending billions of dollars to try to get a man over on the moon. What good's it going to do after he gets on the moon? I, as I said the other night, I'm not worried about getting on the moon. I'm wanting to get in heaven. So the moon's not far enough for me. And then the Russians saying, oh, we put the first man in space. I sure differ with them there. That man went in space about two years ago, and we've had one in space for 2,000 years. <laughs> Building us a home to come to. But you see, man-made achievements, what man has achieved to do within himself, it will not work. Uh, we tried to educate people to get what we would call the better class of people through education. Our seminaries have sent our ministers to school, which is fine, and learned an education by proper speaking, speech and so forth, and better grammar, that where that the better class of people of the city, so-called, would come in to these churches. And we filled our church full of that. Now, I don't believe there is a better class of people than the people of God. See? And... Jesus never worked upon such a class when he was here. He went to the fishermen, the illiterate, unlearned, ignorant. And that was what he chose. A God, if you could only understand him, he likes to take something that's nothing and do something with it. That proves he's God. There's nothing you can brag on. He takes something that's nothing to make something out of it. That proves that he is God. Now, we tried to do it then with the uh, denominations. We thought maybe if we could get our denominations to grow. And what did we do in making our denominations, which is all right, nothing against them, but the thing that we'd done with our denominations, we just started pulling for that denomination, and the first thing you know, we didn't give the other brother enough blanket to keep warm by. See, and we separated ourselves, and you see 
And it, in doing that, then we cause uh, something to happen among us that should not have happened. And we find out that that just don't work. Our intellectual talks, which is fine. Only wish I could do it. But that ain't what counts in the sight of God. It's the Holy Spirit. God never did ordain such. He ordained and commissioned His church to go preach the gospel. The gospel is not intellectual. The gospel came not in word only, but through power and demonstrations, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That's what brought the gospel. You're not long ago in Chicago, a full gospel group called for a meeting. And they went to a certain big Bible school and they got a great intellectual speaker. It was advertised all over the city about this great speaker from a certain great school with such a name, my, and all the degrees on the end of the name, until they thought that would just be it. And when the crowds gathered in to hear the man, when he raised up in the back of the building with the suit on, the collar turned around, and his speech under his arm walked up and spread it across the place, and a speech, my, it was superb. There was no one could say a word against that speech. It was perfect. The grammar was exact. His actions and his pulpit manners were perfect. He never stammered, stuttered, or slobbered like a lot of us do. But he, but he, he brought his speech out with such eloquence. But he thought, with this bunch of an illiterate people, I'll get up there and show them what it really means to be a preacher. With his chest out, he walked up, all puffed up, and gave this speech, but he found out that didn't sit with that kind of a crowd. It went over the top of their heads. So much great, big, swelled-out words, they didn't get it. So after a while, when he seen he was wrong, he gathered up his speech and put it on his arm, his shoulders dropped, his head dropped, his knees hanging, he drooped back down, humble, humiliated, off of the pulpit. There was an old saint sitting back there, looking around, touched another one, said, if he would have went up the way he come down, he'd have come down the way he went up. So that's just about right. Until man knows that he knows nothing, and he'll humble himself before God and expect the Holy Ghost to do the work. That's the thing. Man cannot achieve nothing by his intellectuals. He uh, must depend solely upon God. Now, man doing this shows that there is an achievement somewhere for this great cause of being redeemed. And God made that achievement. He did that, and He made it so simple. It was by faith. God told the beginning, it has always been by faith. Today you're not saved by works, by good things, by joining church, by being educated, you're only saved by faith. And that by the grace of God. You are saved by faith by believing what God has already done. God appropriated the ensign. God gave you something to hold on to. An ensign, like a flag hanging in Korea and all down in the islands. 
during the time of the war, when the uh, Americans had drove back the Japanese, and they run up in Guam and different places to the top of the hill, the highest hill that they could find, and there, with tears running down their cheeks and with shouts, they planted the American flag. Oh, glory! Above the hillside, they had conquered the land. What an achievement to lift up that ensign that this belongs to us. Oh, what a privilege it was for those soldiers to stand under the land that they had conquered. Well, I tell you, God gave the church an ensign one day. When Jesus was lifted up on Calvary between heavens and earth, none other than God Emmanuel bleeding out his blood upon the ground, there was an ensign lifted up to the people that we have conquered. We have, we're a more than conquerors because he conquered for us. Now, we find that Noah, a man of God, had faith in God giving him an ensign. And that ensign was the ark. And Noah built a way by faith because it was the commandment of God to build this ark for the saving of whosoever would enter into it. Now, as Noah went along building on the ark, he knew that he was completing an ensign that God had told him to build. Anything that God says to do, hold on to it because it's right. No matter how many scoffers laughed and made fun of, Noah knew he had, thus saith the Lord. Compare Noah with Nimrod. Nimrod had his own idea about it. And Noah had God's idea about it. Nimrod had something he could put his hands on, and Noah had something he could put his hands on. It was an ensign, something he could hold to. Certainly. Then we find out after that, we'll speak of another man quickly, and his name was Moses. And he was just one man. But how would he ever be able to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the bondage? After he had studied for school, had been trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and found himself totally defeated. But one day, back in the wilderness, God met him, or he met God, and God gave him an ensign, a stick to hold in his hand. What a simple thing, but it done the work. Take this rod before you. It was an ensign that Moses, when he had that stick, he marched forward with it. I was studying not long ago of David Livingston when I stood at his grave. In London, and uh, more people visit Livingston's grave than any other grave in the Abbey. Then, hearing the story of Livingston, how that he went down there as a doctor and a Christian, how he went to the natives, and he couldn't get in because they were mostly savage. So he got to the chief, and he said, the chief said, if you will drink the blood of the covenant with me, then uh, you will be one of us. So they got some wine in a cup and they plucked each other's veins and held it over the cup and dropped the blood in there and mixed it up, the two bloods together. 
And then Livingston drank in half of it, and the chief drank in half of it. And then they gave one another an ensign that they were brothers. And the chief asked for Livingston's doctor coat. And he took his coat off and gave it to the chief. And Livingston asked the chief then for his sacred spear. And then when he went back into the jungles and the natives run after him, would throw a spear through him. How well he could feel when he lifted up this ensign, the sacred spear. And when he lifted it up like that, natives would fall on the ground and almost worship him as God because they knowed that that's where that sacred spear came from. Now that's the today. The people out today fail to realize the great ensign that God has given us. You say, Brother Branham, do you have power? I wish I had power. We don't have power. We're not have power. We got authority. It's not a power. It's authority. We don't need power. Christ has the power, but we've got the authority. Amen. There's a lot of difference. He was the one who conquered. He conquered and gave us the authority. He's got the power, but we got the authority. Just like any ambassador going to another country. Here, to explain it to you. There's down, you go down here at one of these crossings here in Phoenix, along about five o'clock in the afternoon. There's a policeman standing out there. Here's the cars passing by at 40, 50 miles an hour. Well, that little bitty policeman, maybe not be five foot high, walk out there and well, he hasn't got power enough to stop one of them cars. Well, one of them cars may be 300 horsepower. Well, they just pick that little fellow up and crush him and go on. But let him raise his hand once, blow the whistle. He hasn't got power, but he's got authority. That's it. Brakes will slide and wheels will squeak. Everything will stop because he raised up his hand because he has an authority. And when a man or woman is dressed in the full armor of God, it ain't power, it's authority from on high, but he says... Devils will scream and brakes will squeak. Even death itself will shudder and graves will open at the authority that Jesus Christ gave His church. All men knows this. These signs shall follow them that believe. Lift up the authority. The ensign. His hand raised up with His white glove on and never a car will stop. He hasn't got enough power maybe to to stop a bicycle. But he's got authority to stop anything that comes across that street. Because why? The whole law of Phoenix is behind him. And a Christian that's dead and buried and raised with him in his resurrection in heavenly places. See if we are dead with him then we're also raised with Him. For the body goes where the head is, and He is the head, and this is the body. And not will be, but now we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with every power of the devil conquered and under His feet. Authority. Authority. There's the ensign. That's the hand that lifts us up that counts. Moses... Went down into Egypt. There was a great seas out there. Lifted up the ensign. And what happened? They turned to blood. Lifted over the land. Frogs, lice, fleas. The sun refused to shine. 
death struck the land. Why? He lifted up the ensign of God's judgment. And when we lift up the ensign of God's judgment as a believer in Christ with a crucified life to yourself and your own ideas and raised in His Word made a lot of among you, every devil's got to squeak at it. That's right. Because it represents Christ. See, He died. He's the one lifted up the ensign. And Moses with his stick, it looked like a little bitty thing, but it was a stick. And it was God's ensign to Egypt. His judgment rod, and it brought judgment. God always gives something that you can look at, something you can put your hand on, something you can prove, something that's right. After you have accepted him, the wise man, Magi's, we read, Peter said that he perceived that God was, uh, 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 would take any nation of people, anybody that believed him, the wise man. They were looking for a star to rise of Jacob, a star to come out of Jacob. And they were given an ensign. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from India, following a star. Oh, my. What? An ensign, an evidence, a proof, a supernatural proof. Unbeliever, I'd like for you to see this. Not altogether does everybody have to see it. Nobody saw that star but them three men. He passed over every observatory. A real living evidence. An ensign to lead them to Christ. Nobody's seen it but them. A little while in the world sees me no more. Yet ye shall see me. For I'll be with you. Always, even to the end of the world. The inside, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's true inside. The unbeliever may not see it. Jesus also said, He that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also. What would it be? It would be a sign, an ensign. As once asked him, let my son sit on one on the right hand, one on the left. He said, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? The same Holy Spirit was up on him without measure. comes up on his church by measure. But it's the same Holy Spirit. The same God. It's the ensign. We are God's ensigns to the world. That's the reason I'm always scolding the Pentecostal church. Getting after them. They're ways of living. That's the reason the world can't see Christ. It's because we let down the bars. We get away from that. When our women dress and act like the rest of the world, when our men go out and dirty jokes and smoke and carry on like the rest of them, marry four or five times and everything else, pulls, get them into church and things like that. Why? No, the, the world don't believe you've got it. Let me tell you, brother, when you are dead and your life is hid in Christ, you caught and sealed by the Holy Ghost, and God lifts you up in heavenly places, you'll be an ensign that a work of God has been committed in you. Jesus said in Mark 16, These signs shall follow them that believe. What kind of an ensign is it? Some great stuffed shirt? No. Humility. The fullness of God in Christ Jesus made him walk like a humble peasant. 
made him wash the feet of his disciples, had not a place to lay his head. Some of us calling ourselves Christians, we go to a place we've got to have the best there is in the country. Got to be guaranteed so much money we won't go to the evangelist. Some pastors won't go to a church unless it's a high class and big place. Oh, my! We need another experience like Paul saw when he's on the road to Damascus. Paul saw that inside lifted up and he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. What we need tonight is another pillar of fire hanging over the church again tonight. That people's blinded eyes would be open and could see it. Jesus still lives and reigns. The ensign. Now, he's the, God gave us this ensign. It's an eternal ensign. Remember that all of Romans' ensigns, all of the Nimrod's ensigns, all of Babylon's and all the rest of them are crushed and gone. We only know them by history. I stood in Rome to where the Caesars once ruled the world. And you'd have to dig down 20 foot in the dirt to find their, where their palace was. Stood in Egypt where the pharaohs were. And it's gone and turned to dust. Brother, but there is an ensign that God achieved one day by lifting up Jesus Christ from the dead and sending the Holy Ghost upon His church. And heavens and earth will pass away, but His Word shall never pass away. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Why, the living ensign is in the church. The ensign, the infallible, the perfect proof, something you can put your hands on, something that you can look at. See here, this young man, young William here, stood up and testified how his father and mother had prayed for him. And all at once he saw the inside. Something happened. He seen he bid farewell to the old house of clay, and then he went to running around the milky white way, as the brother said. When man can see that, if I be lifted up from this earth, I'll draw man unto me. Ye are my witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, drink deadly things that shall not harm them, lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. The ensign. Let me get another note on top of that to seal it with. This will all men know you are my disciples when you have love one for another. See? You can't take part of it. You've got to take all of it. And it cannot be sealed until that all of it has come. That's right. In the old country, old times, a seal was usually a ring. A man that couldn't sign his name, he just had a ring. And he uh, sealed it. His, uh, everybody that wrote what he just did to sign his name, he put the seal on it. It was a penitentiary offense to ever copy that seal. Now today, God has a seal. It's a penalty of death to copy that seal. Listen, you Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostals. Don't try to copy it. Hold still and God will put it on you. And then you will be an inside example of Christianity and manhood and womanhood. A seal of the Holy Spirit. God's inside. Pressed into you till you look, act, walk, 
talk the gospel everywhere you go. No finger can be put on you. That's right. God has achieved that by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the washing of the water by the Word, through His blood today, we are washed and made clean, given this great privilege of saying we wonder what Jesus was if we say He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what He was yesterday, He is today, and will be forever. That same ensign. We find what the ensign was then to them people to know whether He was the right ensign that was looking to become. We see in the Scriptures where in there He never claimed to do anything. He never claimed. He said, It's not me that doeth the works. It's my Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing. But what He sees the Father doing, that doeth the Son likewise. Is what He saw the Father doing. In other words, He saw it by vision what happened. We find a woman touched His garment. He turned and looked at her and told her uh, she had the blood issue and it stopped. Her faith had saved her. The woman at the well said, Go get your husband. She said, I have none. said, Well, uh, we, uh, you said, right, because you've had five. When he said that, he said, Sir, we know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us these things. See, there was the ensign. He said, I'm he that speaks to you. Oh, brother, the water pot was left. She had found a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. She had found a fountain of salvation. She had found a fountain. She ran into the city. See, she was gladly pointing, man. She said, Come see who we have found. See a man that told me all the things that I've done. Look at Andrew that I preached on last night over there. How as soon as he stayed all night with Jesus and found out that that really was God's witness, that was the Messiah. He didn't go say, Simon, come help me figure it out. He knew that he was Messiah. And as soon as he came up before him, he told him who he was and what his father's name was. And Peter knew that was what was going to happen. Philip did the same thing. And all on and on and on. The inside. Jesus said in St. John 14, 12, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now look, we are sent. Listen here, friends, all of you. I'm talking to you people now. Let's go. Right now to the people that's going to be prayed for. Listen to this. You are a witness. You've been saved, and you know what the power of God is. You've touched that ensign. You've got a hold of something, something that's not an Nimrod's tower, neither is it a, a Adam's fig leaf apron, but it, it is a promise of God that heavens and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It's something you can lay your hands on. These signs shall follow them that believe. If they lay their hands on the sick, they shall recover. It's an ensign, a real ensign. And to you people, there will be one here that has never accepted this insight, that don't know what makes these people cry and shout and dance and how it makes these women let their hair grow out and quit wearing them old dirty clothes and, and looking sexy out before men and things like that. That old evil spirit gone out of them. Don't tell me you might be as pure as a lily to your husband, but when you come to the judgment bar, you're going to answer for committing adultery. That's right. The Bible said, Jesus said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if you dress yourself to present yourself before man, you're guilty if a man never touches you. When that sinner answers for his adultery, you're the one that committed it. You've presented yourself. Yes, sir. Brother, sister, you might think this is old-fashioned. I had a minister not long ago who said, You're going to hurt your ministry, Brother Branham. I said, It isn't mine. It's his. And that's his word. And that's what he said. I believe it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So 
when you see one of them women get straight with God, you'll see her come out like a saint. You'll see her act different. There'll, there'll be a difference in her life. Holiness will speak everywhere. She'll be a lady. What's that man, that drunkard out there on the street, staggering a bar flying, his mouth blowed with fly blows from vomiting, from whiskey and beer and stuff like that. Let him get down at the altar and catch a hold of that ensign one day, and I'm telling you, he'll be an ensign to God and a memorial to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. He certainly will. I stood down the other day here on the streets of Phoenix and seen a little colored boy standing out there, a little guy that was nobody paying any attention to him, had his Bible under his arm, and everyone who was coming by, he was pointing the gospel to him as hard as he could. I said, thank the Lord God. Oh, my. Scream it out, brother. Just keep it going. That's all right. Lifting up Jesus Christ. As you get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, and for your love and for your concern for us. For who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? We pray, Father, help us, Lord, that we might become more and more like thee. Help us, Father, that our nature might become like yours. Give us your wisdom. And we know that when you are on this earth, you grew in stature and in favor with both God and man. But we know, Father, that we shall be unpopular among some, for this word is not a popularity contest. You said you didn't come. You came to separate father and mother and to pit some against the other. And, you know, father, three in a house shall be against two. And how, Lord, they shall need each to make a stand for your word. And so, father, we are not ashamed of that. We will in whatever it costs us. But, father, we pray, Lord, that may you give us the courage in those situations to take a stand for your word, regardless of the consequences. Help us, Father, to have that nature and that character. For many before us gave even their very lives in even the most grotesque of circumstances. And we, Father, we hold them in the highest regard. And we pray, we know, Father, we're not even worthy of them. He said, men and women whom the world is not even worthy of. But we thank thee that you've made us the salt of the earth. And it's through thy spirit, for without thee we are nothing. We thank thee for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, would really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you. It seems to me this is the day when man's hearts from sin won't sway and their eyes are turning blind loving sin with all their mind but as for me I'll serve the Lord with all of my heart and all of my
should I been saved from sin and shame that kept me a slave? Now I can soar above the world, for my strength comes from Oh, my God.